The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the host, guest, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or the Webster Rockio Ministries, its management, or other host or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented on KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome back to In Tune, listeners in listener land. And we are having a good time. I just want people to know that. You know, this is Black History Month, and as I stated last week, we do black history all the time. It's just not one month. You know, black history is history, and it's history that is incorporated into the general history, and we just need to know what it is because there are gaps, and some of these gaps are things we should should have been taught. I wasn't taught them. And we need to be aware of them. That's why we talk about them. You're right. The information should not be concentrated into a month. It should be spread equally throughout the curriculum and throughout our total understanding. Because these things didn't happen in one month. No. They happen over a period of years and decades. Well, if you're looking at history, things happen that you should be aware of. Absolutely. I didn't grow up uh, knowing a lot of black history. But as I've learned my history along the way, I've seen that there are certain individuals that I should have been aware of. There are certain inventions or their significance in a historical pattern or in some kind of aspect of history that made a difference. And they need to be focused on a little bit more and discussed so so everybody understands the importance of why is this now the way it is? That's right. When we learn history and we learn about history, we're able to better appreciate the different groups that have all contributed to this great nation. You know, that's a great comment that you made because sometimes what is lost is all of the struggle that went up to this point. So what can happen today happens. If there are groups of individuals or individuals that feel they are being one way or another discriminated against. Let's go back through history and see that maybe you would not have had an opportunity to even do this 60, 70 years ago, maybe 40 years ago, maybe 100 years ago. But what are the, who are the people that have gone on before you who have laid the groundwork, who have sacrificed along the way so that this could become a reality? I think about just in the radio business, you know, I think about Kathy Hughes, who many people may not know her name, but Kathy Hughes was one of the first women to own a radio station in the United States. And, and she then has gone on to, you know, be a, a tremendous pioneer in radio. But when you learn of her story and she'll tell you about how as a single mother, she and her son basically lived in their radio station. And, you know, during the day, it was a radio station. And at night, guess where he slept? He slept on the couch that was where in the lobby. And you listen to her story because she's so tremendously successful today. But you realize that because of what she did years ago, and her son is now probably in his 40s, maybe even 50s now. But this wouldn't be achievable today if she had not made that struggle and gone through that so many, many years ago. That's very interesting. So how many people really understand that? We always just think that radio just happened. Right. But community radio and even just commercial radio in terms of black ownership started many, many years ago, started by a female. And when we do have our NABJ, the National Association of Black Journalists and Black Broadcasters, they always honor her for the work that she has done. It's like when you look at the ladies who worked for NASA. Exactly. I didn't know about that story until the movie came Until out. the movie came. And isn't that 
the way so often that it happens is that a movie has to come out. And I'm glad it did because it really revealed a lot of what was going on and the struggles that they went through and how people were very dismissive that, well, how could you possibly know how to do these mathematical equations? And man, they could mathematical equation around everybody. The lady who not discovered but kind of formulated global position satellite, GPS, as a black woman. Yes. You know, do we know that? Is that a common fact? I didn't know that until about uh, nine weeks ago. Yeah. When I read that. So when we look at the contributions of all people yes. of different nationalities, different races, different ethnicities, we can see that every group here in this country has played a part, has had a role in developing the nation. You know, when you start to think about the Chinese that were brought in to work the railroads, you know, you look at all of the contributions that they made to a system that we now take for granted, but many of their lives were lost. There even was the Chinese Exclusion Act that kept them from bringing in females so that they could actually have families and just live as partners. You look at what happened to the Japanese. Well, gosh, we had Japanese living on the West Coast that were being interned at the same time that their sons were over in Japan fighting Fighting. against their own ancestors. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the Indians and you look at all of the things that happened with the Indians, but look at all the contributions they made. And you break it down, you know, look at what the Italians did and the the um the Irish. The Irish and the Germans and all these different groups at some time at some time were actually discriminated against. Right. And all groups have risen. And you know, that's the thing we have to look at is that when we rise up as a nation, we cannot eliminate the history and the historical contributions of any particular group. Right. And we must remember all, all of the, uh, not only the contributions, but the struggles along the way. That's right. Exactly. So let's talk about some struggles. Everybody knows this name I'm going to give you. Okay. And you tell me, LA, this is kind of like a Q&A kind of deal. Jackie Robinson. Of course. Baseball. Baseball. What, what was his claim to fame? He was the first African-American to play, to actually play in a major league, wasn't Major it? league. That's right. Right, 1947. Well, what if I told you he wasn't? What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? That's hilarious. Well, we all know about Jackie Robinson, and this, is, this information comes from the Society for American Baseball Research. Okay. Now they're not saying Jackie Robinson. He, I would call that. There's kind of like in baseball. There's the the I don't know exactly the old school and new school, but it's like the Babe Ruth era, and then there's the new era where they changed the ball, they changed the bats, then they did other. You know, there were more games, et cetera, et cetera, like that. So we all know about Jackie Robinson in 1947, but there's a gentleman named William Edward White who played for the Providence Grays. He was a 19th century American baseball player. He, he played as a substitute in one professional baseball game for the Providence Grays of the National League on June 21st, 1879. Now that is amazing information. This is, this is very interesting. He was the son of a plantation owner in Georgia, Andrew Jackson White, mm. and his black slave, Hannah. And he had three children. One of them was named William Edward White. He didn't, he didn't identify as black. He identified as white. He could pass that way. So according to this particular Society for American Baseball Research, he played ball, and he was very little known about him, but he, he replaced a regular first baseman who was injured. 
He was a student at Brown University and played for their college team, but he only played for this one game. People say technically he's the first black major league baseball player. Now, some other people may say, well, no, it really wasn't William Edward White. It was Moses Fleetwood Walker in 1884. Because Moses Fleetwood Walker, he did not identify as white. He identified as black. Okay. Okay. So Moses Fleetwood Walker, he played for the, get ready for this one, the Toledo Blue Stockings. <laughs> it's kind of like the Toledo something hens that was in uh, the show. Exactly. Uh, MASH. So uh, he was the a professional baseball catcher who's credited as being one of the first black men to play in a major league baseball game. He was an athlete at Oberlin College as well as the University of Michigan. He played semi-pro and minor league baseball before joining the Toledo Blue Stockings of the American Association for the night, excuse me, the 1884 season. So the Society for American Baseball Research indicates that while William Edward White was the first African-American baseball player in the major leagues, Walker, Moses Fleetwood Walker, unlike White, who passed as a white man, was open about his black heritage and often faced racial bigotry so prevalent in the late 19th century United States. So he was uh, born in Ohio. He was enrolled at Oberlin College, where he majored in, get this, philosophy and the arts. Wow. Yeah. He proved himself to be an excellent student. Uh, his sophomore year, he rarely attended class because things were very, very easy for him. He came to play. How he came to play baseball was a little uncertain. That baseball team, they they had to watch where they played because back during that time, there was still this racial st- strife going on. He was persuaded to uh, go to the University of Michigan. They kind of recruited him, and he was then hired to play a semi-pro game as a catcher to fill a void. And while he was on that team, they performed with a 10-3 and record. He hit second in the lineup and was credited with a 308 batting average. Not too shabby. Nope, not too shabby at all. We're going to talk about four more individuals as they relate to St. Louis baseball and uh, their historic times when they played with the Cardinals and the St. Louis Browns. So we want to stay tuned for that because we've talked about William Edward White. We've talked about Moses Fleetwood Walker. 1879, 1884, way before 1947 of Jackie Robinson. That's right. I'm I'm all ears. All right. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. You're listening to In Tune and KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. We've been talking a little Abner baseball here and talking about Jackie Robinson, who was the first black player to play in the major leagues, 1947. But we also talked about William Edward White, who, according to the, I need to get this correct, according to the Society for American Baseball Research, that William Edward White actually played for the Providence Grays in 1879. But as that may be the first player, black player, it could have been Moses Fleetwood Walker for the Toledo Blue Stockings in 1884. And you go, well, 1884 and 1879, what's the difference? Well, William Edward White identified as being white, even though he was black. Black. And Moses Fleetwood Walker identified as being black. He so didn't try to pass as a white out. man. <laughs> he was left out of the out of the roles, wasn't he? he? He was left out of that. And so he had a successful season with the Blue Stockings. They were a major league organization. 
and his first appearance was an away game against the Louisville or Louisville Eclipse on May 1st of 1884. I love the names of these these teams, the blue stockings and the grays. Yeah. Although I have to say, I look at those two, and you know, because blue was the um, the color of the Union and gray was the color of the Confederacy. Uh, that's interesting that they use those colors. It is in their names, but the it, it, like the eclipse. You know, I mean, now we worry. We, we're running around about the you know the the red red chiefs. The um, oh, the Washington Redskins. The skin Redskins. You know, and we think, well, why do we have to use those kind of names when you've got these great names that people were using back then? When yeah. did you know? You have to kind of look and say, when did that change and why? Yeah, I wonder if they call it like the Melbourne ostriches. <laughs> Or the, the Melbourne koalas. The koalas, that's right. Go koalas. He ended his life. He actually patented some inventions that improved film reels when Nickelodeons were popular. Who, who are we talking about? I'm talking about Moses Fleetwood Walker. Oh, really? Yes. It's very interesting stuff. You know, it just it's like a, a rabbit trail for me. I, I find one, and then I, I see other th- things, and I go like, well, what about this? And what about this? What about this? And this is this is what spurred this particular conversation that we're having now and then i thought okay since these were the the gentlemen who were the first in the major leagues who were the first for our local teams that's good i want to hear that who did the cardinals have well they weren't the first ones the st louis browns beat them you know jackie robinson came for the brooklyn dodgers in 1947 in 1947 the st louis browns they hired hank thompson who had played in the negro leagues as a third baseman, he was a left-handed batter. He had played with the Dallas Green Monarchs, the Kansas City Monarchs, and then he played for the St. Louis Browns. He was traded and then went to the New York Giants. He possessed a powerful throwing arm, covered the outfield with grace, and was well-liked by his teammates and the Giants fans. Grew up in Oklahoma. He was in the war, was a machine gunner uh, in the historic Battle of the Bulge. He made his major league, league debut, and this is very, very interesting. Uh, he played his first game with the Browns on July 17, 1947, integrating the Browns lineup two days before Willard Brown made his debut as the second black player on the Browns. So they had two black players within three days in 1947. Now, get this. The following day on Ju- July 20th, Thompson, this is Hank Thompson, played second base and Willard Brown played center field for the Browns in a game against the Boston Red Sox. That game marked the first time ever that two black players appeared in the same major league lineup. That happened in St. Louis. In St. Louis? Yes. Later in August 9th, a doubleheader against the Cleveland Indians, Thompson and Indians outfielder Larry Doby became the first black players of opposing teams to appear on the field at the same time. So we have all of this history and knowledge and information, and it just is not getting out to the public. Yes. And again— Because you're getting it on in tune. (laughs) And that's why we have this show. That's why we have this show. One of the reasons we have this show. Then there's Willard Brown of of the St. Louis Browns, nicknamed Home Run Brown. I I guess you figure why. You can figure out why. Okay, he was an American baseball player who played outfield in the Negro Leagues and then in the Major Leagues. He is a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. He established himself as having the most raw power in the Negro League history and possibly in the history of baseball. He hit home runs more often than the better-known Josh Gibson, causing Josh Gibson to give Willard Brown his nickname, Home Run Brown. That's a big deal. Home Run Brown. That's a big deal. You know, it's kind of like me with my nickname. You know the nickname you gave me, One Bar Rapper? One Bar Rapper. Kind of of summed it up there, didn't it? There There you go. So let's see. He briefly played in the major leagues in 1947, having signed with the floundering St. Louis Browns. 
He entered the baseball record books that same year in August when he became the first African-American player to hit a home run in the American League, an inside-the-park homer off of Detroit pitcher and future Hall of Famer Hal Newhouser. Wow. That is very interesting. Now, when did the Cardinals get their first black player? And of that, I really can't tell you, but I know you can. I can, and I'll tell you this, that the owner of the Cardinals at the time, when the league was integrating, was not in favor of integration. But the Browns were already integrated. They were they were owned by a different team, I, right? But they were already, yeah, they were already integrated. But the Cardinals, they didn't want to integrate. Their owner didn't want to integrate. Wow, okay. It wasn't until 1954, seven years later, okay, seven years later. But the owner of the team at that time was Gussie Bush, and he was in favor of integration. And we're talking about Tom Alston, Thomas Edison Alston. He played first base for the Cardinals from 1954 to 1957. And this guy, he was, you thought Mike, Mark McGuire was big? Tom Alston was 6'5", 210 pounds. He was massive. He was huge. He was acquired in a trade uh, with the San Diego Padres of the Pacific Coast League, not the Major League team, where he played 180 games. And Gussie Bush uh, told the manager, hey, find a black player. Find a black player. So not only did Bush think excluding blacks from baseball was morally wrong, his company, Anheuser-Busch, this is interesting, which had bought the team a year earlier to keep them from moving to Milwaukee, they sold more beer to African Americans than any other brewery, and he feared a boycott if they didn't have a black player on the team. That is interesting. Now, I'm going to throw one at you. I know you haven't heard this one. Okay, I'm not done with Tom Alston, but go ahead. Okay, this is Donald R.G. Barksdale. Donald Donald R.G. Barksdale was an American professional basketball player. He was a pioneer as an African-American basketball player, becoming the first to be named NCAA All-American, the first to play on a United States men's Olympic basketball team. Now, ask me, Arnold, how do I know about Donald R.G. Barksdale? You went to school with him. He's my cousin. Uh, There you go. He was my cousin. Wow. And there are pictures of him in Ebony Magazine back in 1950 of him playing basketball in the ABA. ABA, remember that. And I remember when I first met him, I was probably about um, eight or nine because we had traveled to, he was he was lived in Oakland. Mm-hmm. What I learned about him also, I did know him when he was alive. He started a radio station really? in the Bay Area. He lived in Oakland and he also had a club called the Sportsman's Club. And he used to bring in a lot of the brand new jazz and hip, you know, artist and um, but that was my cousin. And I can remember the first time I met him because he was like six foot 50. Okay. <laughs> he was very, yeah. very, very tall. And I can remember saying to him at that time, you are the tallest person I have ever seen because he was, he truly was like maybe just a, a half an inch short of seven feet tall. Wow. And then he married a woman who was a model who was like six foot five wow. and their children ended up being like six foot 50 as well wow. when they were 12 and 13 years old. Yeah, no kidding. So it's amazing when you go back into your own family history that you can find that you have people there who made history as well. But again, it was so interesting to find out that he had started a radio station in Oakland. And what's his name again? His name is Don R.G. Barksdale. Okay. And R.G. was his dad. Okay, Don R.G. Barksdale. Mm-hmm. And they came out of Durant, Mississippi. And R.G. was one of 14 children. He became a porter on the railroad. Mm-hmm. And that was how he ended up 
in yeah. Oakland, California. Gotcha. And that family still lives out in Oakland today. Wow. We'll have to send him some kudos. <laughs> well, he's passed on. So his but family. His family is still there. Yeah. yeah. And we still have connection with them. So I just wanted to kind of throw out that little tidbit that... Very interesting. I've got some people in my family, too. You've got, you've got some... Uh, some peeps. Uh, some peeps there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Tom Alston... This six foot five, two hundred and ten first baseman, who was the first black player for the St. Louis Cardinals, after ending his playing career, he spent most of the decade, unfortunately, in mental hospitals. He really suffered while he was with the Cardinals. He had a, a, a disease that impacted him mentally and physically, and it was very, very sad. Matter of fact, he was in the hospital, in and out of the hospital quite a bit. He was uh, schizophrenic. He heard voices that said, uh, it's time to meet your maker, it's time to meet your maker. He actually tried to commit suicide at one time. Very, very unfortunate. And what was very good about the Cardinals is they, after they had kind of released him, they were still concerned about him. They made sure that they took care of him, that they checked in on him, and, and saw that he was going to be okay, or at least wasn't going to hurt himself. But he, uh, he bounced in back and forth from a couple different teams. And I wanted to read this because it was it was really kind of sad. He said uh, he had written former Major League Baseball players asking for financial help, but said few have answered his letters. Willie Mays sent me an autographed picture, but that's about it. Several years ago, the children on his block organized a baseball team and asked him to be their coach. I wanted to, he said, but I just wasn't up to it. Last summer, and this was quite a while ago, he flew to St. Louis to be part of a baseball card show along with former Cardinal great Stan Musial and Lou Brock. The promoters billed him as the legendary Tom Alston, the Cardinals' first black player. He got along with the fans well, but I doubt we'd have him back, said St. Louis card dealer. I won't read that guy's name. Nothing against Tom, but I just don't think that many people remember him. And what one person said that, hey, what Major League Baseball does uh, every year is they have everybody wear 42. Right. And they said it would be great if somebody wore number 10 in St. Louis to remember his number because he was the first black player for St. Louis Cardinals. And we know number 10 was Tony La Russa. Ah, okay. But if they wore number 10, they would be remembering Tom Alston. Well, maybe we need to make that a campaign. That would be a great campaign. That would that would be. And I think that And that's not be... my idea. That's I, I read that somewhere. You read that. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have to pursue that. That's a good one to pursue. Here's the next one. And we thought that Tom Alston maybe was the first black player for the Cardinals. He played in 1954, but actually Len Tucker was signed by the Cardinals in May of 1953. It's a sad story because he never got to the major leagues, and he probably would have been a Henry Aaron-type player. He would have belted home runs. He would have been that caliber of kind of, of, kind of person because his stats were unbelievable. He had a, a, an average. He played from 1952 to 1963. His batting average over the course of that time was 315. His highest batting average was 404, where he hit 51 home runs, 181 RBIs, 47 stolen bases. Okay? This guy, he was a monster. Yeah, he was. He, he was only 6'2", but he was a monster uh, on the field. So he made really big news. His signing made national news and news stories at the first time that he was the first, quote-unquote, Negro in the Cardinals organization. Now, this is how he responded. And this is how Bill White responded. Bill White, number 12, first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals for a long period of time, gold glove winner, who ended up being the president of the National League. He says, kind of an insult in a way. 
the first this or the first that. Who cares? Bill White was the same way. Bill White was, they said, how do you feel about being the first black president of the National League? He says, I'm here to improve baseball. He says, I'm not here to be the first black president of the National League. Len Tucker was the same thing. I'm not here to be the first black player signed by the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm here to play ball. That's my goal. My goal is to play ball. The other thing about him, this is a very interesting story. He was called Lightning Len Tucker. Well, why do you think that happened? Well, because he must have been really fast. He electrified minor league ballparks with his speed and hitting prowess, but the major leagues, they never called. He had a 315 batting average over 11 minor league seasons. He wasn't bitter about not getting to the majors. He said, well, you know, we had this issue with where we went. I couldn't stay with the white players. I had to stay in some other place. I couldn't eat with the white players. I had to eat somewhere else. So when he got moved around, he went to the Cardinals. He played on the Cardinals minor league team. And I guess he just wasn't good enough. He then went to the Washington team. I'm trying to find out what that Washington team was at the time. He did like a tryout in their spring training. He hit a home run in the game and he got sent down. And he, got, he bounced around. He played a lot of minor league ball, but he, he ended up never making the majors, which was very unfortunate. He said, I never played the race card. I never tried to take advantage of that. I let that be the last thing I thought about. And I never looked upon being the first black player signed by the St. Louis Cardinals. I never looked upon it as anything but a guy who was signing. And that makes sense. Right. I mean, you know, you're not setting out to be that kind of a person you're just you know because that again draws attention good and bad right especially during those times a lot of bad attention could have been drawn but you know to just again to come in again it comes down to you know it's american history right it's baseball history he got signed out of fresno state yeah and he this is who had even heard of fresno at that time yeah you would (laughs) you would like this statement because it's exactly what you just said uh, even though his signing was news, he says, they brought attention to me by saying I was black. And I thought, what are you trying to say? That a black shouldn't be here? Or exactly. That's a, it, it's a miracle? You know? Exactly. He didn't make the majors, as I said. He said, I did the best I could. I thought I was credible, but they didn't. Guys like Roger Maris and all those other guys in the three independent leagues at the time that I played with, I didn't see any more from them that I had to offer. Very and the thing of it is, is he walked out on the field to be the best player that he could possibly be. Not the best black player, right. but the best player. And I'm sure that when he hit home runs, when he, you know, scored, when he did any of those things, no one said, whoa, look at that black guy going around the, the bases. Now, it may have been when they went down south to play. Oh, now that's a whole different story. You read Bill White's book, Uppity, and you read... Bob Gibson's autobiography, you will find that out, especially Bill White's book. Very, very interesting times. We've come a long way, baby. But we still have so much further to go. We have so much further to go. And don't forget, more unites us than divides us. Absolutely. Because, you know, when we go to the baseball game, guess what? We want our team to win, and we really don't care who hits the home run, steals the base, pitches the perfect game. We just, as fans, want to win the game. Just so long as we win. 